Well, summer's here. Are y'all enjoying it? Awesome. Summer of uh, sunburns and barbecue and all that kind of stuff is going on. So, hey, I want you to let your parents know that your freedom is about 40 days away. School is almost starting again. So, uh, speaking of freedom, and kids are like, no! But, uh, yeah, so your freedom is almost here. Summer's almost over. It's that kind of that deal of like, we love summer, we love the no routine, but then we also know that routine is a good thing. Because summer's a time of vacations, it's a, you know, it's a time for sunburns and pictures and postcards, and this morning we're gonna be looking at postcards. And how many of you have sent a postcard in the last five years? Yeah, yeah. So in the first service, there were a couple of uh, people that love their family. No one else loves their family. I don't know. Do we even send letters anymore? Has anybody, when's the last time someone sent a letter? I got one recently, okay? And um, most people are not sending letters. As a matter of fact, most of us don't even really email really well. Because we don't even answer emails. Like you, I don't know about you, but my inbox starts filling up and I've got to filter out. I've got like 10 different deals because I'm trying to figure out how I can make sure I'm answering the right emails at the right time and, and all that kind of stuff. And now it's even tweeting or even texting. You get a text and you're like, eh, I'll get back to it. I mean, we're just not quick to respond to stuff. And so sometimes we think short is not good, but actually sometimes short and brevity actually adds to clarity. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some postcards and um, thinking about what are some short messages, what are some short truths that the authors of the New Testament provided for us. And so a lot of times these are books that were on the way to bigger books and we see them and we're like, oh, that's cool. And you kind of go on and you're like, I don't know who that guy is or what that thing is about. And so over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at some of these shorter books. This week, we'll be looking at Philemon. And Philemon is right before Hebrews, after First and Second Timothy. And so it's a short book. So while I'm talking, you can go ahead and find it and uh, pick out a Bible in front of you and try to find it. And um, begin to look at it. We're just going to read the whole chapter together and talk about it. And then the other ones we're going to look at are 2nd and 3rd Jude. 2nd and 3rd Jude. 2nd and 3rd John. You are like, those are new books. I was like, yeah, you know. 2nd and 3rd John, and then also the book of Jude. And so we'll spend the next four weeks just looking at those little postcards and what those authors had to say to us. They're still um, important books. But again, sometimes in the busyness of life, we try to just grab what we think are the bigger things. We think bigger means better, and it doesn't always mean that. Um, but anyway, so last night, I was thinking about, we've been celebrating freedom, right, for two weeks now, well, last weekend and this weekend and everyone in between, and we've been thinking about freedom. And the book today, the theme of Philemon really is freedom. Here we have a slave who's found Christ and the story there. We'll dig into that a little bit. But my family, we were talking about freedom for some reason, I don't even remember how we even got on the top topic, but we were driving back from Houston and doing some, seeing some friends and stuff. And we got on the topic of um, how, how as children you can lose your freedom. And my kids, the way that they could lose their freedom, there are a couple of ways, but one of the ways that they lost their freedom was they had this, at their school, they had this program called the Refocus Program. And it was to refocus your attention if you ever got unfocused. You can imagine kids in classroom getting unfocused. And so they had this real refocus thing. And so they would have this little table, and at that table um, had different colored sheets. And if you got the pink sheet, the teacher said, hey, go get a refocus. You knew, hey, I've got to go get this re- refocus sheet. You've got to either circle a picture of what you've done wrong, or as you get older, you've got to write out what you did wrong and sign your name 
And then you get to make the long walk down to the principal's office and show the principal that you needed to refocus. And so my kids were talking about how that just was just this overwhelming sense of guilt for them that I got to refocus. I'm that kid. I'm the refocus kid. And if you get enough refocuses, everybody's parents are not going to want you to hang out with your kid because you're the refocus kid. And, and just that whole thing. And so going through that and, and my oldest child was, is definitely a compliant rule follower child. And so at one point they got one and for something like being mean to somebody or something and they had to got to refocus. And it was like this breakdown moment of life that life was over because now I'm a refocused child. And my younger child, he was free to the wind. He thought refocuses were cool, and uh, he collected them with great abandon. And but he, one of the things about our house is, if you get in trouble at school, you get in trouble at home, right? I mean, so that's whatever that is. I know that's old old school, but it worked. And so he, uh, this child knew that they were. He was coming home, and he had gotten, he had garnished many accomplishments that day, and um, he decided. I'm not going to let mom and dad know I'm such an accomplished refocuser. And so I don't know if any of you have ever done this, but you get the notebook, the little Friday notebook, and coming home with all the good things, but then it also has the other things you need to work on, improve. And so he decided to take out the improvements somewhere along the way, and they didn't make it from school to home. And so he told on himself, our youngest child, it may or may not have been my son, told on himself later on, And uh, it was just one of those funny moments of, like, I didn't want to lose my freedom. I think we're the same way, is that we have these moments in life where we're struggling with things, and we just don't want to lose our freedom, and so we don't tell the truth. We don't really struggle with the deep things. So this morning, I want us to look at this book of Onesimus, this short book, and here's a guy, Onesimus. His name is profitable. We'll talk about that. But his name means profitable or useful. He's a slave. And there were over 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire about this time. It's a huge empire. There's over 60 million people at different levels of slavery. And this guy was a slave, and he was owned by Philemon. And Philemon was actually a pastor, a house pastor. And so at some point, Onesimus stole something from Philemon And in the guilt and understanding of what might happen to him because of his stealing and taking from his master, he runs away. And he runs away, and by coincidence or happenstance, he ends up in Rome and actually ends up in the house where Paul is in prison. And I don't know if that's through relationships or whatever, that he ended up in this place. And so he's literally, as a runaway slave, he happenstance ends up in the house where Paul is in prison and is sitting before him, and Paul shares the gospel With this runaway slave who knows the consequences of his sin, knows the consequences of his mistakes that he's made and what it can potentially cost him. And he hears the gospel of Jesus Christ through Paul and becomes a follower. And so as we'll see in the story, he spends some time with Paul, probably some weeks and some months. And through this time together, his story begins to come out. And Paul realizes, hey, I know your story. I know even who you ran away from. I know him. I know you know, I know how to get a hold of him. I know what he's about. And I'm, I'm willing to, you need to go back and you need to tell the truth because you really won't have freedom until you deal with the situation and deal with the consequences of your sin and the situation. And so, yeah, you're, you're free now because you've experienced Christ and you're free sort of because you've gone away from the guy that owns you, but you're not truly free till you go back and you deal with the potential consequences, and the, the master decides what he's going to do with you and free you or not free you. And so that's kind of where we're at 
with a story. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philemon. There's only one chapter, so we'll just read along and we'll stop and talk about it along the way. Verse 1. This letter is from Paul, who's we know wrote most of the New Testament. And um, he's in prison. This is toward the end of his life, toward the end of his ministry. And in Acts chapter 28, you can kind of get some background about this time of what's going on in um, Paul's life. So I'm a prisoner for preaching the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, this was a banner of, of joy for Paul. He's saying, listen, I'm in prison not because of something I've done wrong, but because of the fact that I've been doing something right. I've been preaching the good news. And because of that, because I've been found guilty of preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, I'm in prison. So that's a banner of joy and privilege for him. And he says, along with me here, not in prison, but visiting with me, is my brother Timothy, who we know that First and Second Timothy is written to. He's also a young pastor, so he's mentoring. And that's the beautiful thing about Paul's time in prison is that he was under house arrest because he's a Roman citizen. And so he received some privileges because of that. And so one of those privileges were people coming and going. And so that's how Onesimus got to be there. That's how Timothy got to be there. That's how others got to sit at the feet of Paul and to listen and to study, but then to also take letters from him and to pass them on to the other churches. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved worker, literally he's a house pastor, and to his wife, our sister, Aphia, and to our fellow soldier, Archippus, or Archippus, however you want to say it, and to the church that meets in your house. So here Philemon is a house pastor in the town that he's in, and we'll see also in Acts chapter 28 that, that Epaphras, who's in hanging out with Paul at this time, was the one that started this church and set it up, and then he left Philemon as the house pastor. So here's a guy, Philemon, who's come to faith in Christ. He's a young believer, and as a young believer, he's at some level, they said, hey, you're the house pastor. We're going to keep training you. We're going to keep sending you letters from Paul. We're going to come by and visit you, but you're the first pastor of this town. You're responsible for the gospel of Jesus Christ in this town. And so here he is, Philemon has started this church, it's growing, they're hearing good things about him, and here Paul talks about what's happening. He talks about the stories that he's hearing about Philemon, even while he's in prison. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all of God's people. So in other words, he's saying, hey, listen, I, I, I'm seeing, I'm hearing that you're a man of faith. I'm seeing that as a pastor that you're caring for people and that there's this, this sense that the church is growing because of the way that you're loving and modeling love and the modeling your faith. And in verse 6, he says to him, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. So in other words, Paul is saying, Look, I've heard about your faith, I've heard about your growing love, and now I want to see it put into action. I want to see what the generosity of your heart is. And that's, that's one of the things that marks the early New Testament church, is that they were known as a loving church, a faithful church, and a generous church. That they were willing to go above and beyond to share with others, to share within the community, because of the generosity that they had received through salvation in Jesus Christ. And so that's a marker for us as well as we continue to grow in our faith. And the more that we understand and how we should be amazed by the grace and amazed by the generosity that Christ bestowed upon us, that God bestowed upon us through the person of Christ and the cross, that our hearts should become more generous. 
So that means more generous with our time, more generous with our energy, more generous with our checkbooks. All these different things, we begin to become more generous because we understand that those things are not our things, but they're his things. That we're stewards of those things, and through faith in him, we've been made stewards. And as we understand what it means to be a steward, then we understand the things that he gives us, the talents, the skills, the money, all those things are not for our glory, but for his glory. And so therefore, we want to be generous with those things. And so Paul is calling upon that with Philemon, and he's saying, listen, you've experienced the generosity of Christ. One, you've come to know him, and now you're a pastor, you're, you're, and you're seeing all this, and you're seeing God move, and I want to see you be a generous and model that as well. What are the good things that you have in Christ that moves you to generosity? What are the good things that you have in Christ that move your heart and move your life the generosity. Verse 7, your love has given me much joy and comfort. And this word love is that word agape. And so it's not just this brotherly love, but it's a sacrificial love. And so Philemon, he's calling on me saying, listen, I already know you're generous. And so then he uses the next word is your love is a generous love. It's a, a sacrificial love. I've already seen it. I just want to continue to encourage you in that. It's given me much joy and comfort, my brother. For your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Now, have you ever been around someone who sucks the life out of you? You know what I mean? Like you're around them and you're just like, oh my gosh, I know they're a great person, but they're sucking the life out of me. I don't know, I don't know what that is, what spiritual gift they've got, but they just suck the life out of you. And so this is the opposite of that, is that Paul is saying, listen, I'm hearing about your faith, I'm hearing about your love, I'm hearing about your good deeds, and I'm hearing... That people hang around you and they are refreshed by you. That they want to hang out with you more. They want to spend more time with you because there's something refreshing about you. And there's something different about you. And so that, that, that should be a marker for us as well. It doesn't mean we should always have a smile on our face. It doesn't mean that we think everything is going great. But that in some way, somehow, because of who Christ is and because of the Holy Spirit within us, we should be refreshing to other people. So here Paul is saying, hey, Philemon, as people hang around you, they're literally, they're refreshed by you. I think about a glass of cold iced tea or water or watermelon on a hot day. There's nothing better than that that refreshes you in that moment, especially if you put salt on your watermelon. That's the best thing. I'm just kidding. That's a family joke. All right. Verse 8. Y'all, y'all don't pick, pick on me for that. Verse 8. This is why I'm boldly asking you a favor. Because of all these things, because of your love, because of your faith, because of your generosity and the way that you love, I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, because of our agape love, the sacrificial love that we have for one another, I prefer to simply ask you. In other words, I could demand it from you because it's the right thing to do, but because of our relationship, that's why I want to ask this. Consider a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. Now, I think about this. This is that moment where, you know, as a dad, sometimes you're like, oh, kids, I can't get off the couch. Can y'all go get me a drink? Or, you know, this is kind of Paul in this kind of way saying, hey, look, I'm an old man. Do an old man a favor. All right? Kind of in that moment, the humanity of Paul is showing up. And he says this, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in faith while here in prison. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity or privilege to share the gospel with someone and they become a believer in that conversation, but I can tell you that there is no more powerful moment in life 
than to be there with someone when they say yes to Jesus and the transformation that takes place in that moment and the sense of responsibility that you feel for helping that person not only understand who Christ is, but then moving them along in the beginning steps of the faith and so they don't, so they don't get confused, so they don't make, they don't just follow along the way. And so I imagine Paul here saying, listen, I've invested in this young man, Onesimus, and he's my child. I want to, you know, I feel like he's a son to me and I'm going to invest him in him and raise him up. And so he's asking Philemon, hey, I, here's my son that I'm bringing to you and I have a request for you. Consider this request. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child. Now, Onesimus is a runaway slave. Now, so there's several consequences for a runaway slave. And one of those consequences is ultimately death, that he could go back and he could say, hey, I'm sorry I stole, I'm sorry I ran away, but wouldn't matter if the master owns the subject and so the master can do with what he owns with whatever he wants to do. And so Onesimus could lose his life. One of the other things that happened quite often is because you didn't want to lose something. If they had the guts to come back, you didn't necessarily want to lose the worker. you lose whatever. And so they would brand them with an F on their forehead and that F meant, F meant fugitive. And so you're branded for life. And so everyone, first they knew you were a slave, but then they also knew that you were a bad slave. You were a runaway and that your character was messed up. And so that was the other option. That was probably the best option that Onesimus had in that culture in that time was to go back and to be branded as a fugitive, as a runaway, and someone who didn't have the character that he should have. And so... The other part of this is Paul says, listen, I know that he stole from you, and I know that he took from you, but I'm going to advocate on him because I know that he's come to know Christ, and I know that he's changed. Look at verse 11. You can hear actually Paul has a a play on words for Philemon and for us. He says, Onesimus, which his name literally means profitable or useful. So he's saying, hey, Mr. Profitable, Mr. Useful, hasn't been of much profit or use to you in the past. But now, because of his, not just name, we haven't changed his name, but his character has been changed by his relationship with Jesus, but now he is very profitable or very useful to both of us because his character's changed. So Paul is saying, Mr. Profitable, who once wasn't profitable, is now profitable for both of us. And what he means by this is he's encountered Jesus, and so the character that drove him away from you now is driving him back, and he's putting himself at your mercy and asking for forgiveness, knowing that even coming back into your presence means he could lose his life. So there's definitely been a change of character. Imagine this, that Philemon has known this man as a liar, a stealer, a cheat, a fugitive, a runaway, and so he's known the old man, and he has nothing to know about the new man. And so Paul is, is describing and telling that, hey, trust me that Onesimus is a changed man. Verse 12, I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. Again, expressing that fatherly relationship. I wanted to keep him here with me while I was in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. You can imagine Paul preaching and telling the story and saying, you know what, you, you can hear my story, but listen, here's, here's Onesimus. Listen to Onesimus' story of, of life change. And so I imagine that was good and some of the things that he would help Paul out with as an older gentleman. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus, Mr. Profitable, for a little while. 
so that you could have him back forever. Here's the key thing for us. He's no longer like a slave to you. He's more than a slave, for he's a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you. He will be of much more profit to you. Why? Both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So here Onesimus left as a slave, as a thief, as a runaway, as the worst of the worst in in Philemon's mind. He stole from him and, and ran away and hides. And now he encounters Jesus Christ through Paul and Paul sending him back to him saying, listen, you know him as a liar, you know him as a cheat, you know him as a thief, you know him as a runaway, you know him as a slave, you know him, all these different things. But those things do not matter anymore. The number one thing that matters is, is that he knows Jesus and he's a brother of yours. And so it doesn't matter about his education, it doesn't matter about his education, it doesn't matter about how much money he makes, all these different things that once classified Onesimus to you do not matter anymore other than the most important thing is that he's a follower of Jesus and he's a changed man. His character has been transformed because of an encounter with Jesus Christ. And so those things that used to define him don't define him because now he's a part of the family of God just as you are. And the things that you were forgiven of, the things that were thrown away and sloughed off from you because of your relationship with Christ and made you equal, the footing at the cross is equal. So as a family, we come together and we have all these different education points, these different points where we make money, all this different stuff that defines us out in the world. But when we come into this place, in the old days, we used to say, hey, brother, hey, sister, because that's what defined us, because we're, we're a family that has come together, that on Sundays we reunite, we reunion together from the week, and we're coming together as brothers and sisters and saying those things that throughout the week defined us and held us back and maybe we didn't find victory in because of the names and because of all this stuff, when we come together here, we come together as a, as a family to reunite and be reminded of the fact that at the cross it's equal footing and we're defined by the fact that we know Jesus or we do not. And that as a family together, that, that is what marks us. And so that's what marks us to the generosity that people would see a family that comes together that loves each other despite our differences. We're unified. And in the early church, that's what they were known for, the way that they would love one another, that Jew and Gentile, slave and free, rich and poor and all of that would come together and would worship because they were amazed by the grace that they experienced. In Christ Jesus. Paul says, consider that. Bring home this guy and receive him as a brother. Verse 17. So you, if you consider me your partner, your friend, your brother, welcome him as you would welcome me. Because we know that he would, if Paul walked up, Philemon would easily welcome him. And Paul's saying, listen, pretend that as Onesimus walks up that it's me walking up because he is equal as me. If he's wronged you in any way and he owes you anything, charge it to me. And then the New Living Translation, which we're reading it today, it makes it in all caps because Paul usually didn't write his own stuff. He had someone that was a scribe for him because we're told by historians and early people that Paul had trouble with his eyesight. And so it was hard for him to write. So someone else would write. But he stops in this moment and says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. He wants him to know this is this. It's this important. I'm letting you know I am writing this with my own hand, that I will repay it. 
I am advocating for Onesimus. I believe in the changed man that he is, that I will repay anything that he owes you. I'm advocating for him. And I won't mention that I owe you, or you owe me, for your very own soul. This is one of the things that in Roman law was, if someone was a slave and they ran away or they stole something, they could find someone to advocate for them. And that person, when they would advocate for them, one of the things that they were doing is one standing up for the character and saying, hey, listen, this is a, a one-time mess up or whatever, but also saying, I will pay for, I will cover the expense for this person. And again, that is the gospel, that Jesus stood in for us and paid the price for what we were owed. Verse 20. Yes, my dear brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. And one more thing, please prepare a guest room for me for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return soon out of prison to get there. In verse 23, it's not going to show up, but Epaphras, who was the starter of the church where Philemon is at, in Colossians chapter 4 we see that, the church in Colossus. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. And so here Paul is, is telling Philemon, look, the guy that helped start the church, you know him well. My brother Timothy, myself, and others that you know are here together. And we know about who you are. We know that you're marked by generosity. We know that you're marked by faith. We know that you're marked by love. We're sending back to you someone that the rest of the world would say, do this. Mark him as a failure. Put an F on him as a flunky, as someone who couldn't do it, who should be ostracized and kicked out, and we're saying, receive him, not only as this runaway slave, receive him as a brother. And one of the things about Roman law is that many times whenever someone received him, they could choose to do it or not to do it, and many times they didn't. But in a few cases, we see that not only were they received back, not only as a slave, but they were actually received into the family. And it does seem that that was true, that was the case for Onesimus. Philemon not only received him back as a slave, but he received him not only as a brother, but as a family member and made him a part of the family and gave him part of the inheritance of his family, receiving him back. Paul experienced grace and understood grace. Philemon was known for his faith and known for his love for people. What are we known for? What are you known for? Philemon was known for his love and his faith and his generosity. What are you known for? Onesimus was known as a slave and a runaway, but a man whose heart and life was changed by the gospel of Christ. What are we known for? As a church, are we known as a generous church that receives anyone and everyone on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ? Philemon in this moment had a chance to put his faith on full display because everyone was watching, everyone would see, everyone would know that Onesimus was back. What are you going to do with the runaway slave? Bring him back as an equal. Bring him back as a brother. Bring him back as a family member. That's the good news of Jesus Christ in a postcard. Your life is a postcard. People are watching, people are examining, people are looking and, and asking the question, what are we known for? What, what is Chris known for? What is Second Baptist known for? What is this church known for? What are these Christians known for? Are we known for our faith? Are we known for our love? Are we known for our generosity? Are we known for disunity? Are we known for disunity and divide? 
What are you known for? Will you welcome somebody and forgive somebody that's hurt you? One of the things I've thought about this week is who has hurt me deeply, who has harmed me deeply, and have I forgiven them? Have I forgiven them to the point that I would willingly invite them to sit down at the dinner table with me and to do dinner? Because that's reserved for friends. That's reserved for people that I want to be friends. Are we willing to forgive? Are we willing to work through and to receive even those that have hurt us deeply? That's the heart of the message of the good news is continually offering forgiveness and seeking opportunities to see lives and hearts transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, I thank you for freedom, not only as an American, but also, more importantly, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Father, may we understand what it means to be free in Christ. It's for freedom that we've been set free. Freedom from the things that hold us back. Freedom from the things that, that we've been named or we've been called or different roles and positions that we think define us. things that others would say that this is what defines you. And Father, that as a follower of Jesus, the only identity that matters, the only identity that, that lasts forever is our identity in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that we would, one, find freedom in Christ, that we would find our identity in Jesus. And the Lord, that the same freedom, the same forgiveness, the same welcoming at the cross, welcoming at the dinner table that we received in Christ and through Christ, may we offer that to others. Father, that there are going to be those in our heart or those in our life that will steal from us, that will take from us, that will take and that will run away and that will hide and at some point will want to come back and to say, I've messed up, I've hurt you, I've harmed you. And Father, to know that we can receive them back and it's with great faith that we receive them back and it's not without the potential for harm again but Father that that is the essence of the good news that is the essence of the gospel is the ability to forgive forgive and to offer forgiveness and to sit down at the dinner table and to sup with one another Father may you be brought glory and honor through the way that we live in our freedom through the way that we love and the way that we forgive. It's in your son's name that we pray.